Hey, thank you for coming this morning. I'm excited. I hope you are. We're starting a new four-part series for the four Sundays of December. The good news in the Gospels. Good news of Christmas in the Gospels. So we'll do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in that order. Pray for Rogério, because next week uh, my lovely daughter Lillian is getting married and I won't be here. I'll be celebrating. And Rogério will do the hardest of the four, which is Mark. I can't wait to hear how he finds Christmas in the, the Gospel of Mark, but he says he's up to the task. My daughter Jessie, the youngest, so Lillian's the oldest, Jessie's the youngest, she's nine, and I have finished the long journey through the Lord of the Rings. Yes, now I've read the Lord of the Rings to all six of my children out loud. Tell me about it. That is a commitment. <clears throat> the Lord of the Rings is this seemingly unending journey through darkness and difficulty and near-death experiences to the last three chapters of glory in the King. The King returns, and all those who believed he was going to come back get to celebrate in the city of Gondor, and he actually marries the love of his life, the daughter of Elrond. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Tolkien spends about 15 times as many pages focusing on that long, dark journey as he does on the wonderful light at the end. But the king is coming. Do you know that this morning? The king's coming? Remember that old song? When I was a kid, there was a guy named Fred Gross that was on our uh, mission base. He was just a mechanic, but boy could he sing. And he used to sing, the king is coming, the king is coming. Do you know that song? Sing it with me. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and soon his face I'll see. The king is coming. Do you believe it? The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. The Magi knew there was a king coming. They gave everything they had to leave their home, to take their treasure. The Bible talks about a treasure. It wasn't a little thing. It was probably most of their resources in the world because the only thing that mattered was to find the king. You heard it read a few minutes ago, so we won't take the time to read it again, but let's remember for a second Matthew's location. So you know Matthew was the tax collector that Jesus chose to follow him, if you haven't seen The Chosen, you should watch it, because I just love the character of Matthew in The Chosen. It never had occurred to me that Matthew and Peter and James and John would be enemies, because Matthew collected the taxes from the fishermen. And yet God, Jesus, made them friends in his kingdom and had a job for each one of them to do. And Matthew's job as a good Jew was to record the genealogy of Jesus after 400 years of silence. So 
the silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament lasted 400 years. Silence, why? Because there were no prophets. There was no recorded word of God. The Apocrypha happened there, but the Jews did not accept that and do not to this day as part of God's inspired word. It was only brought into the canon in the 1500s. There's this silence in that empty page in your Bible between the last word in Malachi and the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. And Matthew breaks the silence and he says, here's the reason for it all. Here's the branch of the stump of Jesse. David's reign seems to have ended, but now it's going to be picked up. And Matthew's message is, Jesus is the Christ. His kingdom fulfills prophecy. He, he cites 19 Old Testament prophecies through his book. Now that's only 19 of the 300 specific prophecies that the Lord Jesus fulfills as a person. That's truly, truly amazing. Somebody, a mathematician, once counted up what would be the chance of one guy fulfilling 300 prophecies, and he found out it was one with 153 zeros behind it. It's an impossibility without the divine ordination of the Messiah. But then he tells the story in chapter 2 of these strange people, the magos. Who are these guys? Where did they come from? How many were there? We have no idea. Suddenly Matthew, the only one to tell this story, says, magos from the east came seeking the king. Asking all over Jerusalem, where's the king? Where's the king? Where's the king? Aren't you guys celebrating? Don't you know? And nobody knew. So who are they? Where did they come from? Now, if you know a little bit of geography of the Holy Lands, to the east of the Holy Lands is Persia, Mesopotamia, Babylonia, all of those places that God had taken them as captives. The word magos is the, the root word of magician, magic, wizard. I even have a wizard's hat at home. I, I held it in my hand this morning and thought, should I take this to church and put it on in the pulpit? And I decided no. I don't think the deacons would be very happy with that. And rightly so. These guys were from some kind of Babylonian Hogwarts. Do I dare say that? crazy diviners and magicians and sorcerers who looked at stars and tried to make gold out of chemistry. And out of the, the hazy east come who knows how many, riding who knows what, right? We have camels and we have three because there were three gifts and we made that up and we even made up names for them. But the Bible says in Matthew 2, magos from the east, magi from the east came seeking the king who was to be born. This is Matthew's way of starting the story that says, the kingdom of heaven has come near, and it is through the Jews, but it is for all nations. The first guys who know are not Jews. They're from the east, and they're seeking with everything they have. Their whole heart is set. Probably, my friends... 
these guys knew because of Daniel and his three friends who were set as the president of the magicians because he kept revealing dreams and visions because the three friends went through the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar made a statement anybody who doesn't worship the God of gods and the king of kings that Daniel and his friends worship is gonna die because he's the real God and so those magicians watched this happen generations and generations before five six hundred years before this is happening, Matthew, Daniel revealed through his writings, through his visions, through the revelation of the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, that a king was coming. The magicians knew. Of course, King Herod was deeply concerned about this. What does it say? When Herod the king, verse 3, I hope you're in Matthew chapter 2 and testing everything I say with whether it's biblical. When Herod the king, Herod the king, Herod the king, Herod's the king, Herod the great, Herod that created this huge temple for God, Herod that thought he was the owner of the world, when he heard that a king might have been born in Jerusalem, he was concerned, to say the least, troubled worried, fearful, and all Jerusalem with him. So Herod assembles these priests. And he says, okay, what does it say? I'm behind in my Bible reading. Tell me what the prophecy says. And the priests, probably worried about their own necks, come out and I can see them just sort of bowing before King Herod and saying, oh, king, yeah, Micah chapter 5, it says Bethlehem is a very small town, but it's going to be honored because the king's going to be born in Bethlehem. Right? They're fearful of the wrong king. Now, I just made that up. The Bible doesn't say they're fearful. But I picture them wondering what's going to happen to them if they even admit there is another king because Herod knew that the birth of a king threatened his throne. Do you know that this morning? Your little throne, my little throne, are threatened by the coming of a king of kings who reigns and rules over all right this minute. And he waits for you to bend the knee before him. And so we have Herod, who's fearful, rightly so, but his response is, destroy any threats to my power. And we have the, the priests who read their Bibles, who know what it says, and who are fearful of their own reputation, their own career, the visible reign of a political party. I hope that's not you this morning. There is a king who reigns over every single vote, in every single place in the whole world all the time. He's the one we should fear. And then in juxtaposition of those two, you have the magi who seek the king who find out that the king was born in Bethlehem just a few kilometers, 10 to 15 kilometers away is Bethlehem, this tiny town, even today, only 20,000 inhabitants. By the way, the border of Israel and Palestine runs down that little teeny lane of 10 kilometers. You can't go there if you're a Jew. I have a friend who lives there, met him in Wheaton, studied, did his master's in theology so he could teach at the Bethlehem Bible Seminary. Today, the two cities almost run together. They've grown so much. Very close. Very close, but very far. Because it's down from the seat of power, down from the visible authority of 
earthly kingdoms to a very small, insignificant village to visit a baby that nobody knew had been born. That's what I'm challenging you to do this morning. Go down from your Jerusalem. Go down from your throne. Go down from your little kingdom to the tiny, almost invisible baby that's born in history and can be born in your own heart and find the rock that Daniel predicted was cut out of a mountain without human hands that speaks of the virgin birth and fell at the feet of the Roman Empire, an empire that was mixed between Caesar and King Herod, all mixed up, and the rock that was cut out of the mountain of God without human hands falls on those toes at the time of Caesar Augustus when Quirinius was governor of Judea and Syria and starts the destruction and renewal of all things. Now you know where we're going. Here's my interpretation of that observation. Three postures for the king. Proper posture before the king. I want you to remember these three as you celebrate Christmas. Number one, seek the king. Number two, oh, sorry, can't go forward. Number two, <laughs> fear the king, fear the king. And number three, worship the king. Seek the king, fear the king, worship the king. First, seek him, seek him. Our God loves hide and seek. If you say, I don't feel God in my heart, therefore he's not there, you don't know that God yet because it's his glory to hide in your heart. It's by faith, not by feeling. By faith in his promise that he will come in when you open the door. He loves to hide and he loves to make you seek. In fact, if he doesn't hide very much, it's because you're not mature enough yet to seek long, to go to the ends of the earth, to spend everything you have to find him and adore him. He loves hide and seek. We are born asking the same question that the Magi came asking. Where's the king? They look, a baby looks at his mother, her mother, and says, you must be God. And then they find out the mother's not perfect. So they look at the father. Father's big and strong, has a big, loud voice. You must be God! Boy, and fathers aren't perfect. And they keep asking until they believe that they are God. It reminds me of the story of dogs and cats. Remember that? A dog says, you give me everything I need. You give me food. You make my bed. You take care of me. You must be God. A cat says, you give me everything I need. You give me my food. You give me my bed. You take care of me. I must be God. See, there's the difference between Herod and the priests. Herod thought he was God. The priests thought Herod was God. Who do you think is God? The Magi sought the one born king of the Jews. Verses 9 and 10 demonstrate the joy of the journey. Verse 9, Matthew 2, verse 9, look at it with me. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
when they saw the star, now they hadn't seen the king yet, they hadn't gone to the end of their journey, they had no idea how far they had to go, but when they saw the star and they knew they were on the right journey, they rejoiced with great joy, exceedingly great. I hope that's your joy this Christmas. Are you on the only way to God? He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. And if you are in Christ, rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Before you see Him, that's what He wants. By faith, rejoicing in hope that you will be consummated with Him at the wedding supper of the Lamb, that all things will be renewed, that your search is not in vain in Him. Rejoice in the journey. Now, what kind of crazy star is this that stops over a stable? Well, I have a daughter who happens to be the granddaughter of a famous physicist and astronomer. Uh, my dear father-in-law, Dr. Joe Spradley, taught physics at Wheaton College for 55 years. His wife, Marilyn, is here. Marilyn, raise your hand back there. I honor you guys for your faithfulness and blessing in our lives. I asked Violet to make a video for you. Watch this. Have you ever wondered why Christmas is celebrated in December? Well, on September 10th, 3 BC, the Magi saw something very interesting as they were studying the night sky. They saw the king planet Jupiter circulating the king star Regulus. Jupiter does this, does what is called retrograde motion. It looks like it stops and starts going backwards, but really we're seeing it and seeing it from a moving platform. Jupiter does this three times above Regulus, Regulus which is a very rare thing to happen almost as if drawing a halo above the king star. What's more is all of this is happening in the constellation Leo, the lion constellation. And as you know, Jesus comes from Judah, which is represented as a lion. So the king planet, retrograde motion, draws a halo around king star in the Leo constellation. The wise men see this and are amazed. Like in Psalm 19, it says, the sky above declares his handiwork meaning that the stars really do speak, really do show us um, what God is trying to tell us. But this is only the beginning. Fast forward nine months, and the Magi see the brightest light they have ever seen in the sky. This is the star of Bethlehem, but it wasn't a star at all. It was actually two planets. What we had was Venus, which is considered the mother planet, coming in very, very close conjunction with Jupiter, the king planet. They came so close together that not to cover each other's light, but to add to each other's light, so it became one of the brightest things, the brightest thing in the night sky. So the wise men see this, and they travel to Jerusalem and go straight to King Herod. Herod shows them Bethlehem, where they head in that direction. By now, Jupiter has finished going around Regulus, has finished being with coming close to Venus, and is now right above Bethlehem in the southern, facing southern from, from Jerusalem. So the wise men travel and they follow the star. But the hard thing is, how does a star stop? How does, how does this planet stop? As you know, the planets are circulating, right, in the um, solar system. So a planet can't just stop. That doesn't work that way. But what happens is, like I was saying before, with retrograde motion, that's what happens with Jupiter. To us, in our point of view, it looks as if the planets go and stop and then start going backwards. But really, they're just going around in the solar system. And it looks like from our point of view, because we're moving from a, from a moving platform, we're seeing it from a moving platform. And to them, it looks like Jupiter stops right over Bethlehem, right over the place where Jesus was to be born. 
and it's really interesting to see right if you date if you look at the dates right when jupiter stops it's 25th of december right that was the first christmas that was when the magi came and presented their gifts to jesus already a toddler already in his home not in a manger but already one two years old so this was really the first christmas this is what started with the magi giving their gifts on the 25th of december that is why we have christmas on the 25th Violet's not here today, though she'd probably be red in the face. But uh, I was very proud of her for making that video. She had done that as a, a project for homeschooling and went back to her research. There was a guy who actually went back in an astronomy program to the dates around 0 uh, AD, 0 BC, to find what kinds of astronomical activity were happening over Bethlehem that might explain the star of Bethlehem. Now, this is just a theory not in the Bible, it's not inspired, but it's very interesting. God pointed to those who were seeking him most that a king was being born. The second point is to fear the king. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Herod demonstrates this attitude by his threat to his own power. He knows what a king is. See, we get all mixed up with presidents and governors and vereadores, and we think their time is limited. The king of kings has no expiration date. He's the king forever. He's always been the king, and he waits for us to repent so that he doesn't have to destroy us for our sin when he comes. That's what Peter says. You, I, should feel the threat of any, to any monarchy in our own lives. Nothing can survive the coming of the king. Jesus is not your magic wand to further your little rebel kingdom. Some of us come to church thinking we will get something to be successful or protected or happy and healthy until we're a hundred. That's not why you come to church. You come to church to bow the knee and confess the name before he comes. Because if he comes before you do it, you are done. I hope your knee has been bowed today. I hope your tongue has confessed, I am not God. He is my Lord. He is my King. Put him on the throne of your heart. He wants, he, you know what? He controls every single thing but the heart of the unbeliever. And he waits and he knocks and he says, please, before I come, surrender. Nahum 1, verses 1 through 7. Nahum describes our God this way. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and keeps wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will be by no means clear the guilty. There is no jeitinho brasileiro with God. He will by no means clear the guilty you do you doubt it look at the cross look at the cross there's no way god would have put his son through that if there was any other way he paid the price of our sin and it's a horrible price 
He does not clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm. The clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. And then verse 7 of Nahum 1 says, The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. The only safe place from God is God. He is a refuge for all who take refuge in Him. He knows those who take refuge in Him from His own wrath. Psalm chapter 2. He said to me, you are my son. This is the Father speaking to Jesus. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. This is that chaff in Nebuchadnezzar's vision. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, little and big, you and I are little kings and queens. We rule on our little thrones. Listen to the word of Jesus the King. You kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss His Son, or He will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. I hope you have taken refuge from the wrath of God under the covering of the blood of the cross. I hope you fear the wrath of God so much that you fly from the coming judgment and hide in Jesus like the ark, like the fiery furnace where they didn't even smell like smoke because they went through the fire with Jesus. That's you and me, my friend. Don't wait another minute. Jesus tells the story in Luke 14 about a king who's coming against you with 20,000 to oppose. uh, Yeah, he's coming against you with 20,000. You only have 10,000. What are you supposed to do? Jesus says, march out there and raise a flag of peace because he's going to destroy you. If you don't surrender, you will be destroyed. Now, the interesting thing is these powerful magi didn't fear Herod, right? They didn't go back to him and tell where they found him. They didn't fear the visible king. They feared a baby. They obeyed a baby. They spent everything they had by faith that that baby would someday be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel 2, which is the rock that would grow into a mountain and rule everything. But it hadn't happened yet. They fell on their faces before a newborn or maybe a two-year-old. We don't know exactly what age Jesus was. It says that Herod uh, discovered the time that the star appeared, and that's what gave him the basic bracket of age that Jesus was. And that's why in the next few verses, he sends his soldiers to kill all the, the babies under two years old in Bethlehem. 
do you fear the Lord and take refuge in His grace through Christ? If so, number three is natural. You worship Him. You worship Him with everything you are. The Bible says in verses 11 and 12 that the the wise men went into the house. Now this was not the, the stable or the guest room where Jesus was born. It was another place, a little more permanent. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. Some think that Joseph may have already passed away. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. Everybody worshipped the baby. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship the angels. Angels don't let you worship them. Whenever an angel is worshipped in the Bible, he says, no, 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 I'm a creature like you. Don't worship me. Jesus let people worship him. What kind of guy does that? Certainly not a humanistic good teacher example for everybody to follow like Gandhi. Crazy people do that. Or God in the flesh says, worship me. It'll be good for you. The best thing you can do is worship me because it will keep you from being destroyed by the coming wrath that is justly going to be poured out on a rebellious, sinful planet. How did they worship him? Number one, they saw him. They sought him until they found him. They did not give up. Don't give up, pilgrim. Keep seeking, and you won't see him with these eyes. You likely won't hear him with these ears, but you will say, Aha, I see the footprints of God in my past. I see the fingerprints of God on my hard heart that now has been made soft before him. I see the effect of the Spirit through the fruit that is being born in my life. You will know you have found him when you see him being formed in your very soul. Don't. Stop seeking until you find him. The Bible says if you stop, it means you were never in him in the first place. They saw him. They fell down and worshipped him. They didn't worship themselves and say, wow, what great people we are. We found him. We must be pretty special, pretty smart. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship anything but the one who was born to be king, king of all, king of everything. And then what did they do? They opened their treasures and gave him their very best possessions. Gold, representing his majesty. Frankincense, representing his deity. And myrrh, representing his mortality. He was born to die your death and mine so that we could live his indestructible life. Worship is about giving. It's about saying, King of kings, all is yours anyway. Take it. I'm yours. All I have is yours. It all came from you. It's all going through you, and it's all returning to you. And while I have any choice, my choice is to give it to you. This is not about the tithe. This is not about obeying some rule, obeying some rule. It's about laying down your scepter and your crown at the feet of him who will rule everything. Who does right now control every detail for his purpose. 
This week I got to visit with some Afghan refugees at the Guarulhos airport. Did you know there are 300 refugees living in the Guarulhos Terminal 2? Go up to level 3 by the Hey Numachi, and you can talk to any of them that come over and say hi. They're friendly. They want to talk. They want to find a way out of there. Some of them have been there for weeks, living in a little blanket tent folded over an airport divider. Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. I've submitted a proposal to the missions committee for renting a house as Calvary International Church for one family from Afghanistan to live in that house until they find their place in their work and their life in Brazil. And my daughter Esther and her husband Luke, who's right back here, are prayerfully considering being the house parents of that project. Pray about that with me. Do you worship Jesus? He wants to bless you by being part of his mission. And I believe he's sleeping in the terminal, waiting for us to seek him and find him and give everything he's given to us for his glory to be known in the world through his church. They gave him their very best. But then they didn't stop there, did they? Had a dream. The dream said, disobey the king. Oh boy. This guy can cut off your head. He lives 10 kilometers away. If he finds out that I'm not going back to tell him like he commanded me, what's going to happen to me? Doesn't God say submit to the king? Not when it goes against the word of God. They obeyed the king because they believed he was the king of kings, because they had sought him with everything they had, because he was all that mattered to them. And they obeyed and went back a different way, risking probably their lives. Now, I say a lot, I love Jesus. And I believe I do to some extent. But Jesus looks back at me and says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I said, go and make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to every creature. Because when the gospel is preached to every people group, I'll come back. The end will come. And we're sitting here with our arms crossed, waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And he's up there saying, I told you what to do. I'm waiting for you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments you're visiting this morning I don't always get this excited but I believe I'm talking to the family this morning worshiping means giving him all and it means doing what he says whether you feel like it or not because he's the king and you know it they obeyed a baby because he gave him a dream that said hey don't go back to that king he's not one of us go the other way Worship the King. King Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. And if you're a Christian because you think you'll have a better life by it, you're probably right. Your life will be joyful and peaceful. But that's not why you become a Christian. You bend the knee before the King of Kings because He's all there is. He is life. He is the way. He is the truth. Nothing exists outside of Him in the end. It all blows away in the, in the dust of history. And the only thing that is remembered is the mountain of his love that conquered the world through his church. We don't understand in our day that a king can be born and not elected. The king has come. The king has been born. Seek him. Fear him. Worship him. What should we do? 
how shall we then live? And I'm finishing, so don't despair. Would you spend time this Christmas on your face seeking Him? Spend time seeking His face. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Where are you? There are several ways you can do that. Nature preaches. Violet said it this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God. What time was it when the, men, when the wise men headed for Bethlehem and saw the star? It wasn't work hours. It was nighttime. It was the middle of the night. And they saw the star and they said, Woohoo, we're going. They were seeking him in all their waking hours, with all their resources, with all their energy. Spend time at Christmas not thinking about what presents you're going to get or give or how you're going to pay for it, but seeking God's face in your life. You can seek it in his activity over your life. You can seek it in his word, of course, his character, what he's done for us. You can seek him here, right here. I can tell you that I know Jesus better because I have gathered with you on almost a weekly basis this year than I knew him a year ago. I've seen his work. I get to see it more than most of you because I see it happening on your faces. He's speaking. He's working. He's causing you to break down and weep with repentance. Jesus is here and he's working. Seek to know him. Jeremiah 29, 13. This is right after Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, I know the plans I have for you to the exiles. Verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. That's the plan he has for you. Seek him with your whole heart. You'll find him if you seek him with your whole heart. Secondly, fear no one but the consuming fire. Fear no one. Get off your throne. Let him have it. He will have it all in the end. Spend time begging him for mercy, for your nonchalance. You know what that word means? Nonchalance. It means sins of omission. See, we focus a lot on our sins of commission. Well, I haven't robbed anybody this year. I think I was honest in my taxes, so God must be pretty pleased. Well, there's a whole lot about sin that you need to confess. I need to confess. There are things that we haven't done. Have you loved your brother? Have you made disciples? Have you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Fall on your face and beg him for mercy. Think about that baby being the king of everything. That's faith. And then finally, worship him. Adore Jesus. And here's how. Remember what he's done. Credit him with even the bad things in your life because all things work together for good for those who are called and love God. Sing out loud his praises. Lift up your voice. He doesn't care how well you sing. He made your voice. It's his fault if you don't sing well. Maybe. He still wants you to lift up your voice with joy and say, Oh, come let us adore him. Sing that in the morning. Yeah, we'll sing it in a minute. <laughs> Praise God, I need to sing more. Sing his praise. Worship him. Give. Give. We give presents at Christmas because of the Magi. And who do you give them to? You know what we do? We give them to ourselves. I give, kids to my, I give gifts to my kids so they'll love me more. 
I give gifts to you so you'll owe me something. Not really, but it's a very thinly hidden reality that we give gifts to people that we can get something out of. Maybe we should be giving to those refugees over in the airport. Give everything to Jesus. Think about what you're holding back from him and say, Lord, you're going to take it anyway. Here, have it all. Have it all. No more 10% games. That's Old Testament. Take it all. Whatever you want me to do with my resources, you can have it. And then finally, listen and obey. Sit by your manger scene and be quiet. Stop asking for stuff. Listen. Ask him to show you in his word, primarily through his people, maybe through a dream. Lord, I want to hear your voice and I'm ready to obey. What do you want me to do? Like those magi who listened, who heard, who worshipped, and who did what they heard without worrying about their own necks. Finally, say, Lord, being a Christian for me is going to be more than about going to church on Sunday. It's going to be more than just reading your Bible in the morning. It's going to be doing and not just hearing. We're going to have communion. And I'd like you to bow your head right now where you are before the one who sees all, who knows all, and begin to prepare your heart, your mind, your body for receiving the Lord's Supper. Have you sought Him with your whole heart? Make a commitment to do that. Seek Him right now. Ask Him to show you what He's been doing in your life. As He convicts you, confess and repent. Do you fear Him more than you fear man? More than you fear those who control your reputation? Have you worshipped Him in the sanctuary of your heart? Or have you complained, thinking maybe somebody else is in control of your circumstances? You've forgotten that He's sovereign and all things work together for His glory and for your good. Confess your complaint. Complaining is a sin. It shows your disbelief that He is truly King. Have you given Him everything? Have you obeyed what He said? King Jesus, thank you that you didn't come today with fire in your holy angels. Teach us to take down our little flags, to stop pointing to ourselves and glorifying ourselves and what we've done, and help us make your glory known. The earth is full of your glory, but nobody knows it because your church is glorifying itself so many times. Help us to make your glory known through seeking you, through worshiping you in fearful praise, through giving you all that we have because it's all from you anyway. In you we live and move and have our being. We worship you. We adore you. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Cry.